Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insight. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems, which challenge all of us, are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Jim Semino. Welcome back, Jim. You are our first guest coming back for a second shot. Well, thanks. Today we're doing program number 28. In today's program, we're going to be talking about long-term strategic planning. What I figured I'd do before we actually get started with the the show, I'd uh, let everyone know about a couple of the interesting shows that we're going to have in the month of July. We have uh, Ruth Ellibush, who's an EMDR therapist, and she's going to be talking about how to get maximum performance out of people in sales. That's always an important thing. Isn't it, Jim? It is. Okay, and... We're going to have Ken Saunders from Search Engine Experts, who's a uh, SEO uh, specialty company, and he improves uh, search engine uh, performance so you get high ranks in generic search. Rick Slifer is going to talk about how to do business with the federal government. And on the 3rd of August, we're going to have uh, Don Keller, He's the inbound president of uh, the Rotary Club this year. Uh, he's also the president of Habinger, uh, uh, which I think is now owned by Huntington Bank, if I got that right. And he's, But we're going to be talking about uh, some of the good that Rotary does in our community and why you might want to consider uh, taking an invitation to come see and learn what Rotary is really all about. And... Uh, on August 9th, we're going to have just John Westheimer. Uh, he is the president and CEO of Cincinnati Commercial Construction. Uh, John's been in the construction business for a lot of years, and he's going to be talking about some of the newest things that uh, that his company is going to be doing. On the Sandler training calendar, we've got a couple of really special programs on uh, in July, Monday, next, next Monday, July 9th, we have a special President's Club workshop called Colombo, Mr. Not Okay. And on let's see if I can find this now. We have a strategic sales management program on Thursday in July. Well, here it is, right in front of my eyes, on July 10th, maximizing your sales resources. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Jim. I guess I've known Jim for almost 20 years, 19 years, Jim. It has uh, been. Long time. Not such a long time. Okay. Uh, Jim started out his career at General Motors, uh, where he had uh, used his engineering degree. He started as an engineering manager in General Motors and uh, worked his way up from there. Uh, Jim has over 38 years of uh industry search experience, uh, finding uh, people in mid- and high-level management positions. Uh, 
Uh, Jim is specialized in finding, filling those openings that company had, companies had for engineering and professional types that were in the excess of one hundred thousand dollars a year range. Uh, one of Jim's major uh, personality and business traits has been his insight and strategic thinking, and thinking outside the box. Hmm. And, and that's one of the things that's made you successful, hasn't it, Jim? Yes, but just how you define the box. Well, you know, sometimes we can't do everything exactly the way it was planned. Uh, I wanted to, you know, start the discussion today by kind of looking at where we are in the economic business cycle. Uh what we've come through so far has been a uh, a rather serious recession, I think, since uh, 2008-2009. A lot of businesses have uh, gone out of business, disappeared. Uh, they couldn't survive the downturn. Uh, to survive the downturn, Jim, they've cut head headcount, cut product lines. Just a hint cut production, cut some of the muscle, cut some of the, all of the research and development in, yeah. fa in favor of spending money on things that were going to create current time frame profits, which is important to survive. So it's really important to survive. But now what we're faced with is a, a continued period of uncertainty in the marketplace, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, Jim? It certainly is. Uh, there's what's driving this thing, as far as the reluctance in the marketplace to move forward, <clears throat> is purely a fear of the unknown. At this point in time, most CEOs who ultimately control the the purse strings are not certain what's going to happen in the business climate at or right after the election. They're looking at the possibility that. There could be some serious tax considerations if Congress and the President don't act on certain tax cuts that are currently in place that are to expire on the 31st of December. And as the time frame gets closer, their attitude is, well, you know, a year ago we needed to build and we needed to put things in place because it was still down the road. Today it's four or five months away and they're saying, yeah, maybe we need to hang tight. Four or five months isn't that long and it could have a serious dramatic effect on our cash flow depending upon how the events of the fall and ultimately the end of the year turn out. So that reluctance is actually being driven by a fear of the unknown. That unknown is based on the uncertainty that's coming out of primarily out of the Washington area. And until that settles in, people, CEOs, are not going to make major decisions. You know, good times, bad times. If you and I know what's going on and we therefore can control it, we can act accordingly. When you don't know what's going on, you tend to just lock yourself right where you are, and that's what's happening. Well, it's, it's perspective, Jim. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in almost any marketplace. There's more uncertainty now than there's ever been. Uh some people say we're seeing an uptick in the marketplace. Some people say it's level. In fact, some people have told me it's going down. Uh, I was talking to another CEO of a, uh, a company with about 12 employees who said, I'm going to grow. He's hiring new people. He is revising the strategy that he's had. Now, in a 12-person company, Perhaps he can get away with doing it himself without any outside help. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to talk about today, Jim, was a a process for creating a strategic plan that could take your company from where we are today into uh, 2014 as a prosperous company, almost no matter what your uh, your business was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the process that, we, that we're going to talk about really isn't suitable for a small company with one or two people. No. But, you know, 
uh, let's take a 50-person company, Jim. Okay. In a 50-person company, uh, how many uh, exempt management people would you expect that there were before 2008? Well, probably anywhere from 10 to 15. 10 to 15. If they were 50 million, they were 50 people in the company. Their gross volume was how big? Oh, at 50, probably somewhere in the magnitude of eight to ten million eight to ten eight to ten million dollar a year company and what did they do to survive the economic downturn well as their volume decreased immediately they're going to start pulling the plug on those people that push the product out the door and then behind that they're going to start looking at the indirect labor the kind of, of individuals that actually don't add value to today's production schedule but rather to tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And because those results are down the road and they need to pay the bills today, it's easier to rationalize eliminating those individuals and putting the money back to the bottom line. So you're going to find that before long, the uh, people in the creative environment of the company, the people that are going to drive it next year and the year after, are the ones who begin to disappear. And without realizing it, the company has just mortgaged their future. Mortgaged their future. They've released people uh, that were talented in key roles. Now the economy is beginning to turn around. Yes. Or B, even get tougher than it was. Well, it's, it, it's a different kind of a marketplace. You're going to find segments in today's market that are really doing very well. And they're going to people touting it saying, by golly, look over here how things are growing. The reality of it is, on the other side, you've got a number of industries that are doing very badly. Usually in a general up economy increase, you're going to find increases across the entire spectrum. They may vary in the percentage of increase, but overall, the economy and all the aspects of the economy, all the different companies, all the different industries, are showing an upward trend. Today you got some going up and you got some going down. Some are going up very well, and a number of them are going down very badly. And that means that although some companies may be adding, you have a lot of other companies that are not adding. You hear the numbers, the private sector added 64,000 or 67,000 new jobs last month. Well, they're giving you one side of the equation. They're not telling you how many jobs did the private sector eliminate last month. You know, that number of 67,000 is not a net. They're taking one side of the equation and not telling you the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at an economy with some turbulence in it. And companies have eliminated uh, creative positions. They've, they've eliminated or cut the fat down to the bone. Now we've got to talk about how do you build a strategic growth process in that same mythical 8 to $10 million a year company. You have to add people back. But before you start hiring, you have to figure out who you have to hire. Right. And before you before you start determining who you have to hire, you have to determine where it is you want to go. And it all comes down to somebody, generally the CEO, especially in a small company, has got to sit back and say, where do I expect my company to be at a certain time frame, in a year, in two years, in three years? Obviously, that takes a lot of insight, and it takes a little little bit of touch of reality. But ultimately, you have to have a specific goal or set of goals, and they have to be clearly defined, even right down to dollars and cents. You can't say, I want to be a larger company. I want to be a $20 million company. You You literally need to define that objective clearly and concisely. And until you do that, Strategic planning is like building a house on sand. Right. So I want to get to how we how we do that. And what I'd like to present to the audience is a is a simple, effective process that we at Sandler can take a company through uh, relatively painlessly and relatively speaking, low cost but can put that direction in place for the strategic plan over the next two years. Okay? The first step, I think we'll get to the first step after we take a short break. That fair, Jim? Works for me. 
Good. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. Jim, this is Mike Roth uh, with Jim Savino again. And we were talking about a new... strategic long-term plan process that we can implement in small and medium-sized companies to create that long-term plan uh, for the next two years to get them over, to get people over the hump, and then we repeat the process. Uh, the first assumption that we're going to make, Jim, is that there, there is a management team. Sure. Whether it's uh, two people or ten people yes, in this company. Obviously. The the step would be to first step is to analyze the strengths that the company has. Strengths could be the people they have in place, could be the product line they currently sell, could be the opportunity for an expanded product line. Strength could be their physical location. Well, the strengths obviously for, you go back to that the goals and objectives. You know, you need to understand that you you know you may have good people. You may have a great location. You may have a great product line. But on the other hand, if the goal that you that you have actually established is something that these strengths do not enhance, then you've got to tie those strengths back to that goal. I've got a client exceptionally good. They're several uh, million dollars in size. And what they do, they do very well. They own their market. Literally, they're the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And they decided that they wanted to grow by 40, 50% over the next four or five years. And so they hired a new business development individual and found out very quickly that what they did, they did so well that they had literally engineered in the efficiency and engineered out the ability to do other kinds of work. Their flexibility was gone. So, therefore, in order to get where they wanted to go, and they had their goals, they had their aspirations, they had everything laid out. This would be in the weaknesses segment that they had created a great manufacturing process that was inflexible to build other products. Right. So, they assumed that what they had was the strength, only to find out when comparing it against their goals and objectives, it really turned out to be other than a strength. Well, other than a strength, it would be calling it a straight shot a weakness. Yes. Okay. And I think one of the areas that uh, management management team has to really evaluate openly and with a great deal of frankness is what are our weaknesses. You know, Jim, you run a uh, an HR firm, a placement firm, and you do that really well. Watch you do it for a lot of years, but I think it would be a really weak goal to, or mistake, to decide to become an accounting firm. Yes, it would. That you're going to do audits on other people's companies. This is probably a mistake. Although you might have something, someone who knows something about accounting, or it might be a mistake to decide that you're going to be an IT company because you have computers. Oh, right, absolutely. What I was trying to express before is that before you can determine whether something is a strength or a weakness, you need to tie that back to that objective. Because if I wanted to be an auditing firm and I have a bunch of accountants on staff, I have a strength. If I wanted to be an auditing firm and I started looking at my strengths, all of a sudden I'd realize that I don't have a strength. And so consequently, it it all ties back. It goes back to that idea 
that strategically you have to decide exactly where it is you want to go yeah, before do, you do anything else. Do you want to hire a staff of uh, five CPAs to create an accounting division? Does that make any sense at all? Right. In your case, I can't see how it would make much good sense, although someone else might look at a different business and say, yeah, we can create a whole new division to create a, a new revenue stream of $5 million over the next two years. But you have to look at the strengths of the company, where we're coming from, and the and the way, and I'm going to be real open and honest and tell people the way we're going to do this is anonymously. We're going to have all of the 10 members of the management team give me a list of what they think their company's strengths are, the strengths of their department, so that we can create a um, a Buckminster Fuller type uh, corkboard going around the room where we get a stream of ideas. What are the positives? What what are the the strengths that the company has? Okay. At the same time, on a separate sheet, we're going to come up with what are the weaknesses? What doesn't the company do well? You've indicated this company was so efficient at creating their manufacturing line that it's totally inflexible to build something else. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the uh, problem that certain automobile manufacturers used to have. They built an assembly line for Ford Galaxy 500s, and that's all they could build on that assembly line. So when people wanted to buy Falcons, a smaller car, neither the new factory. Right. Terribly expensive. So we're going to look at what are the weaknesses. Now, in the marketplace, we have to look at the third third angle of this problem, which is the threats. Threats are what's happening in the comp- competitive landscape. Who else is out there? What are my what are my competitors been doing? Are they nipping on my heels? Are they going into different areas? Uh, what do I need to be aware of? Is my competitor in in the search business instead of selling a search contract? Selling a uh, employee leased program, where instead of getting a full time chief financial officer, they're offering a leased full time chief financial officer. Right. So, what are, what are the the real threats in the marketplace? What's happening? What are the, you know? If, imagine if you were a manufacturer of CDs, a record label, ten years ago. What happened? You didn't recognize the the change to digital music from the CD to over the web. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got this goes back to the idea of the strengths in your company, and that is one of the strengths that you should have is the ability to to contact your current marketplace and have them tell you what it is your competitors are doing. What are they bringing to the table? What's being offered? Uh, You may have a competitor that's got something under wraps that they're developing nobody knows about. I don't care about that product because I don't know anything about the product. And by the way, neither does my customer. So whether or not they'll buy it is up for grabs. But you do know from your customer and from your marketplace who exactly is going in the door offering the latest new mousetrap and that comes back to making certain that within your company, if you don't have the strength, you develop the strength to go out there and do some not only intuitive work, but let's call it industrial intelligence gathering. Sure. You have to know what's the threat in the marketplace. If you're a manufacturer of uh, laptop computers and you've specialized in high-quality gaming machines with big screens that weigh a lot, mm-hmm. and it, and now the threat and the opportunity is that several manufacturers beyond Apple have come up with ultralight machines. If you don't have an ultralight machine in your uh, threat column, understand that you're asleep at the switch. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, Evidence ballet gaming systems. You went into a, if you went into a an arcade. Almost every game in that place was a valley. Uh, they own that marketplace. Well, today, uh, you, they don't have that kind of product. Everything is being done 
with software on visual screens. So these big bowling machines, well, they still exist, and you can probably buy them nice in the secondary market. But I happen to know for a fact, because I was dealing with that particular company, that they are a shadow of what they used to be. Mm-hmm. They don't have the the manpower because they weren't aware watching the threats in the marketplace. Right. Okay. And we're not saying here in the threats in the marketplace that every person in the management team is going to be addressed with the same degree of uh, completeness, but all of the things that the management team observes in the marketplace as threats to what they're currently doing is really important. You know, if, if the company had a high reject rate, okay, if a company had a high rate of infant mortality, you need to address that and fix it. Well, each individual in the management team is going to be chartered with some aspect of that company, whether it's manufacturing, and depending upon the size, supply chain, sales, marketing, engineering, accounting, finance. Uh, each of those ingredients have a factor in the marketplace. Uh, your engineering people, your, your technology people should be chartered to know what's coming down the road in terms of new technology that impacts your ability to manufacture or your co- your, com- your competition's ability. You say, what about finance? What do they need to do? Well, what's the latest thing in the means for providing your customer with a financing program or a pricing program based on uh, perhaps new ingredients that are out on the marketplace? Sure. I know. I- I- and, and how long in the future do you want to take a look? Um, I'm going to use high-definition television sets, mm-hmm. you know, widescreen. Jim, when's the first time you saw a widescreen set? Oh, I don't know. Maybe 10 years ago. I'd have to do back in my memory. Mm. First time I saw a widescreen set, it was probably 1982 or 83. Wow. I saw the widescreen set at a private demonstration at a trade show in Las Vegas. Uh, it just, you know, blew my mind. I, I never saw anything like this. The definition and the quality. Now, I knew I was looking at hand-built prototypes, but all of a sudden, if I was building old-style sets, I had to have to score this as a threat in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't adjust my company's build plans to build something like that, we've got trouble. Right. As I was saying, you go across the the entire spectrum. I know a company uh, in Ohio that uh, they went out and acquired a large piece of industrial property, and they demanded that, uh, that their suppliers build a facility in that particular industrial complex. The reason for that is they wouldn't be shipping product 100 miles down the road. They'd be shipping product 150 yards down the road. You, know, you, you need to look at that. Are your customers starting to do that kind of a thing? If so, are you going to be left behind because you didn't become part of the new trend of literally building focused industrial complexes? Good. Let's uh, take a short break, and we'll be right back with Jim Semino. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth. I'm back here with uh, Jim Semino. So, Jim, we we talked about first the uh, strengths, 
than the weaknesses, right. threats by what's happening in the marketplace. Uh, during the break, you were talking about uh, a company that completely changed its focus to uh, from its customer base of end users to an intermediary that was selling to those end users. Actually leasing. It was a large equipment manufacturer, and uh, they sold the, the, the end use of their product was primarily in construction, mining, etc. And over the, the progression of time, the the end customer went from buying the machinery and inventorying it to renting it or leasing it, and so this manufacturer found out that the end customer, the end user, was not their customer. The rental companies like Aaron Rents and some of the others that are out there were really their customers, and so they had to make a change because not only did they have to determine how we're going to approach these people, but a rental company like Aaron Rents doesn't buy the equipment either. They finance it. It's all so the whole thing is no longer predicated on the distribution of the product. It's predicated on the cash flow. And so their financial people became an integral part of their marketing arm. So the the whole company transition and that's an important strategic change. It is. Uh the Strengths, threats, strengths, weaknesses, threats. Now we're going to come to opportunities. This is the uh, the pie in the sky. This is where we take the same mythical companies, 10 people, and release them from reality and say, we'd, what we'd like you to do is tell us, you know, at the 5,000 foot the 10,000-foot, maybe even the 30,000-foot level. What do you see? What are the opportunities in the marketplace for your company? Can we? Can you convert to a company that's driven not by the end user, but by the finance arm? Who's actually buying? Well, again, uh, anybody that's, that's dedicated to their job, uh, let's talk about a vice president of engineering, he may be a VP of engineering, but he's an engineer at heart. He graduated college with an engineering degree, and he or she has always come up through that rank. So it's the old adage, you know, once a blank, fill in the space, always. And if you ask your vice president of engineering, you know, if I turned you loose based on what we do, based on the kind of strengths that you think we've got, and I said to you, clean sheet of paper, where would you want to go with the next kind of projects that you have that you could run in your department? That individual would have a list of projects, products, things to investigate because their mind works that way. If you go to the sales and marketing people, I guarantee you the head of the sales and marketing area has been looking and sniffing around markets and customers in areas where they say, you know, I've been I've been hearing in the marketplace that there's a need for, and if we could just... That doesn't have anything to do with your capabilities because, as you say, you're, t- you're, t- you're t- turning these people loose and saying, clean sheet of paper, no restrictions, where would you want to go? So each and every one of your key senior staff people have become aware of things that they wish they could do if they just had the ability and, the, and were unfettered in terms of being able to do it. So that's the list that you want. You know, the clean piece of paper list. Now, the opportunity, you know, let's let's talk about a case of a really large company that's gotten themselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, is this company called BlackBerry or, mm. or RIM? Right. You know, they attempted one product that was uh, out of the box with this BlackBerry uh, tablet. I think it was called the Playbook. Uh, at first, it didn't sell well. Then they reduced the price to sell them. If we gave a, a set of engineers over at BlackBerry a clean sheet of paper and said, hey, we will engineer and build a new product, what is it? Well, it could very well be something that provides the function that that tablet did. But but to me, the problem with what they did was a me too. They they had a competitor. Well, they got to the marketplace. They looked at the other competitor's piece. They may have even reverse engineered part of it, and they said, okay, here I come. I got the same thing, too. Well, if you're out in the marketplace, unless it's a matter of price, 
why do you want to buy a Me Too? So consequently, the, the objective should have been not to come to the marketplace with something that's like, you know, I got one too, is to turn your engineers loose and say, okay, if we're going to go into the marketplace and we're going to provide the function, the capability, the service that our customer wants that looks like something of this nature, what would it be? And it may come out looking like another tablet. It may come out looking like something else. But they didn't come to the marketplace with something to satisfy a need. They came to the marketplace with a Me Too. Right. So what we're talking about in the third part of the strategic plan are what are the opportunities that this company has in the marketplace? You know, if you're, I'm just going to pick a mundane type of a subject like asphalt construction. Mm hmm what you want you wanting to do in the marketplace, what's your opportunity? There are a lot of companies that build as, asphalt parking lots, driveways and streets. How do you differentiate yourself? How do you even put your brand on your product? Again, uh somewhere in your organization will be somebody let's assume we're not going off into infinity and like as you mentioned, I'm not gonna go out and start doing auditing for companies. I'm a search firm. I don't have that strength. That's not what I want. But let's pretend you were an accounting firm. Right. What, would you, what would you want to do next? All right. Well, the point I was making is that, therefore, within your organization are going to be people, perhaps even the CEO, I'm sure that he or she would have a piece of this, would be able to come back and say, you know, we could get into that market because we have the capability of, and here are things that I know from what's out there are not being done. If we could enhance that, and I've looked at that because, by golly, you know, I've often thought that maybe that might be a direction for us to go. Here's one of the things that I, or a couple things that we, I feel would help us differentiate. You know, we're going to, we're going to do this in such a manner that uh, if you're talking about an asphalt product line, then you're looking at something that in, involves durability. How often are we going to have to go back in and patch? How often are we going to have to is the customer going to have to reseal? You know, how long is it going to take us to put this in? You put down an asphalt uh, parking lot, and nobody has to, nobody can drive on that thing for four or five days. What if you can come up with a curing process you, you, that the asphalt parking lot goes down, and in 24 hours, it's usable? It makes a big difference. That's right. Now, I'm not saying that you can do that, but, again, that's the idea, and I'm convinced that if your company is, and it's a key, key point, if your company is staffed, by people who enjoy what they do and are knowledgeable in their function and their and, and the, the strengths that they bring, engineering, uh, finance, marketing, uh, same thing with supply chain, they have an idea of how to do something better than what's being done out there. They've just never done that because most of the business is evolutionary, not revolutionary, and now you want them to go to the revolutionary side. Well, you know, let's... let's Let's back up and talk about the opportunities that Steve Jobs saw that no one else did. The opportunity to take uh, the functionality of a Sony Walkman and put it on a, uh, a mini hard drive and put it in the palm of your hand so you could play back music randomly. Sure. Yeah. That's an opportunity. The opportunity to bring digital music collections available to the uh, consumer, that that was an opportunity. Sure, that yeah. no, that the record companies never saw. Right, and if you take a look at it, and you look at Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs was not a technologist. People thought, boy, this guy is really—he must have a fantastic brain. No, Steve was insightful. The reality of it is, Allison was the technology guru. So consequently, what happened was. Jobs that say, gee, what if we could do this and we can do that? And he pulls it down and says, I can see a market for doing this kind of a thing. And then he threw it to the people in his organization who had the kind of strengths and said, okay, can we do this? And if so, what does it look like? Get back to me with that. Right. So, we're talk again, you know, staying focused on the strategic plan, what we're talking about is putting together in one place in a short period of time all the company's strengths, weaknesses, threats, and opportunities so that that CEO, that management team, can 
navigate a new course over the next two years to prosperity. Now, once you get your, your, your new course plotted, you may realize that because of all the cutbacks, you're missing key people in the new organization chart. Mm-hmm. And Well, you know, first of all, going back, and Mike said, what are you going to do in the next couple of years? The idea is, and somebody a long time ago told me this, he said, do you know how long it takes a human being to make a decision? And he said, a split second. The remainder of the time is rationalizing that decision and determining what you're going to do to execute it. But you make the decision in a split second. So you can decide where you want to be in two years, but you need to recognize that that is not going to happen overnight, and it isn't going to happen unless you start taking the steps today to put that in place. So that comes back to, do I have the right talent? You may need a new sales manager, a new vice president of sales. You may need a new sales team to attack new markets. Right. Part of the strategic development or strategic planning is not only to say to determine where it is you want to be, but to determine, and of course you want to know your strengths and your weaknesses, but you need to know what is it that I need to have to get there. And now you do a comparison. You know what you need to have to get there. You take a look at your strengths and your weaknesses because what you need is the wish list. The strengths and the weaknesses is what you've got to work with. And that's the reality. So now you've got to marry the two together and you may find out that you've got some exceptionally good people who have helped you get where you are, and they are deserving of the kudos for that, but they do not have either the capacity or the capability to get you where you want to go. Let me call that the talent to get you where you want to go. Sure. You know, I see that a lot in sales teams that were selected to sell product A, and then the company wants to go to product B, and the team doesn't have the technical knowledge. And frankly, some of the people don't even have the skills to learn what they need to learn in a reasonable period of time. Or, uh, excuse me, another client was looking at going into some additional markets, markets that are already dominated uh, by other players. And what they elected to do is hire a whole new sales team. Now, when they hire a whole new sales team, naturally they have to hire us to train the team, okay? Uh, And they had to find a new sales manager who could run that team because the old VP of sales was going to be moving up to the presidency because the old president was old enough to want to retire. He wanted to take some time off. Mm -hmm. So, we're changing the whole company culture and adding a whole new product line and a whole new team while not giving up on the first product, which has got us to where we are. So we create a new strategic plan to move from where we are to where we want to go over the next two years. Now, recognize fully that a strategic plan is not something that stands still. We plan it for two for two years. We may need to revise it at 18 months. Oh, definitely. I've heard too many times uh, in, the, in the years past of companies saying, you know, we, we did a five-year plan. And I'd say, well, where, where's your five-year plan? And the, the director I'm talking to opens up the bottom drawer in his desk drawer and says, there it is. Yeah, and usually it's up on the uh, on the bookshelves. Yeah, and uh, I said, well, you know, it looks like you got two or three things done. Well, that's the five-year plan before that and then the five-year plan before that. You know, it's a, it was a great mental task that absolutely goes nowhere. So if I could back up, the first important ingredient to the entire aspect of strategic planning is that if I could use an old Kentucky term, the fish stinks from the head first. That means before anything is going to change or improve, you have to have a senior management team and specifically a CEO who is insightful enough to know what they are capable of doing, to know what he or she is not capable of doing, and then being able to fill those voids at that level. Mike, you mentioned about 
you know, the old VP of sales is now going to move up to become the president. Well, if the old VP of sales has still got his feet mired in the concrete of the way we did things in the markets we were in before, then unless that individual is insightful enough and, if you will, is is movable enough, um, I'm looking for a term here, agile enough, to be able to recognize the value of moving in other directions and the idea that not only does he know what he knows, he also knows what he doesn't know and is willing to filter that through that organizational structure. The whole thing falls apart. It becomes one of those five-year plans sitting in the bottom of somebody's desk. Mm. And strategic planning doesn't mean that you're going to um, open up a new city, build a new office, staff the new office, and then look for customers. Uh, I'm describing exactly what a company did uh, in the market research area. Terrible idea. They built a beautiful facility in what I'm going to call the right place and then discovered they had no one to sell the time in the research facility. So they were putting the wrong end of the wagon first. What they really needed was a high-power salesperson six months before the center was complete. Instead, they completed the the center, and then they sent in two operations people, nice ladies, but they were not salespeople. They were not going to aggressively go into the marketplace and find the opportunities. So each, each one of these strategic plans has to be well thought out with goals in mind of where we want to get to. Jim, we're going to take a a short break and listen to a Sandler rule, and we'll be back in less than two minutes. Hi, I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. A skilled hunter knows how to track his prey cautiously and patiently and waits for the exact moment to fire his shot. He waits to make sure that his prized target is lined squarely in the crosshairs of his scope before pulling the trigger. As salespeople, our process should be very similar. We have a responsibility to make sure we know exactly what that prospect's needs and wants are and how our product or service can fulfill them. We also need to know exactly how much the prospect is willing to commit in terms of time, resources, and money to solving their problem. And we need to know the decision-making process that the prospect is going to go through in order to evaluate our product. And probably most importantly, we need to let the prospect know that we expect a decision at the end of our presentation. Only once we have a fully qualified prospect do we fire our kill shot and deliver the presentation. I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule Number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Jim Semino, and we were we were talking about the chicken versus the egg strategy. Do you build a new facility first, or do you sell the capabilities of the new facility first, Jim? Well, it's a matter of where do you put your money. Uh, You have to invest before things happen. You can't suddenly go out and say, I got, now I got the sales and I'm going to hire the sales team to cover the customers. I'm going to hire the man, I'm going to build the manufacturing to do that. You can't do that because it won't happen. But you have to strategically work with manpower a friend of mine, one of my clients, said to me two months ago, which was the first time I had heard it in 40 years, he said, buildings and money don't build companies. People build companies. So if you want to get to a certain point, you need to determine what kind of human capital do you need to get you there. And that is an investment on the front end. You need to do that, and then you need to have those people fully focused on the goals and objectives that you want. From there, 
you can start creating the customer demand and you can start talking about physical plants and machinery and equipment. But you can't build machinery and equipment and then go out and get the customers. That's backwards. But you can't also take an organization that you currently have that's, let's say, it is operating near its capacity because in today's market, they are. Companies have become so lean today that they really don't have a lot of flexibility left in their workforce to add an extra 10, 15, 20%. It's not there. We have become the most efficient manpower company in the world, but we've done that to the cost of flexibility. We are fully, uh, if you would, we are, we are overstretched. So you want to grow your company, the first thing you have to do is you have to grow your people because people will grow that company. Right. And sometimes you, you, you have to put a new box on your organization chart that you didn't have there before. That's right. Because you cut you cut out the, uh, the fat in 2008 or 2009, and now we have to add somebody new to handle this new function, the direction that we want to grow. Yes. That may be a technology thing. It may be something else, for instance. Uh, and I, I, the opportunity out there, as I mentioned, this one particular client that I know uh, has a customer, a major customer, that uh, built an industrial center. And he turned around and demanded that all his vendors put a facility in that industrial center. Now, if you're doing your homework and you know what's going on in your customer's marketplace, you know that that's the direction that that company wants to go. So consequently, you can already be doing the planning as to we're going to be that company that's going to build that facility in that industrial complex, and we are going to be the supplier. Mind you, that has nothing to do with the quality of your product. You have to assume it's going to be good quality. It doesn't have anything to do with the design of your product because they're already buying your product. It has to do with supply chain. So consequently, you would need a supply chain guru who's going to be able to come in and set this up so that not only can you put your facility there to be able to supply his plant, which is just down the road, but you also have to figure if I do that, what happens to my suppliers in terms of their ability to get the product to me? Because if I if I reduce my cost in getting it to my customer, but I increase my cost in getting the materials to me, that's a no-win. So consequently, what was not an important function within the organization now suddenly becomes an important function within the organization. Sure. So as companies grow and change as we move out of the current business climate into the next, we can't hope to go back to where we were in 2007. No. That simply won't happen. Instead, we have to look for the new reality and create a new strategic plan to take us from where we are today to where we want to go. What are the people? What are the products? What are the adjustments we have to take internally to deal with the threats? We certainly don't want to be a a rim that waited for five or seven years before deciding that they had to react and build a better product because they're their reaction products were me too, and frankly, I thought poor. But well, you know, it, it was interesting when I was really young. At first, graduated college, I ended up in a product development engineering function within General Motors. And uh, as I got good enough, I was promoted and started to get involved in various meetings and some of the lower strategic kind of things that I mean, really loved because they were a big company. But one of the things that surprised me is that when they when the company was doing exceptionally well, they put a lot of pressure on cost reduction and efficiency. And you'd sit back and say, well, wait a minute. We're literally printing money. Why is all this pressure? And the, the philosophy was because, believe it or not, with us making all this money, we now have the latitude to be able to do things that become more efficient. We can take the time to study that. We can take the time to change things. We can take the time to move things around and maybe eliminate rather than trying to do it when the marketplace is now going downhill and we're under a big a big crunch. So the point is, what I learned from that is you have to anticipate the next move in your marketplace. And as a result, you need to have people in position 
that they can say to you, here's where we're going to go, and by the way, this is something we think is going to happen, and we need to strategically develop something today that's going to work for us two, three, four, five years out. Right. So, again, I think building these strategic plans is uh, a multi-step process that we guide our clients through. We help them identify the most important strengths that we need to build on, the weaknesses that we have to, the holes in our armor that we have to plug, the, excuse me, the threats and opportunities right right there in our marketplace that we may not be aware of, and definitely the opportunities that we want to take advantage of. Because we're there providing product A, we may want to provide product B and service C. Well, the... The other thing that comes into place with that is that this is a dynamic environment. You can't do strategic planning today, put all your managers in a in a closed room at a hotel or resort for three or four or five days, and you come up with this thing, and then you go back and say, now that it's all done, we can start executing. You know, strategic planning is truly an ongoing dynamic thing, and the reason is there are there are things out there on which you have based some of your strategic planning over which you have very little control. Your customer is going to change. Your competitors are going to react. The economy is going to move. So consequently, if you do a strategic plan and hang it on the wall and, and let everybody work to that plan, and you take it out once every six months or once a year and take a look at it and see where, you go, where you're going, you've, you've taken the initiative to get in front of the curve only to find out that you've fallen behind the curve. Right. Strategic planning is a dynamic environment. I think that these consultants that come out, whether it's for a nonprofit or a for-profit, and sell them a strategic plan, these uh, one- or two-day management retreats, sometimes ought to be taken out and shot, put up, lined up against the wall. I think that when you do a long-term strategic plan, you ought to be bringing the consultants in to execute pieces of the plan so that the plan actually gets executed. Uh, I've I've watched strategic plans that have a good intent simply become lip service because the boards of directors and the management team didn't buy into it. It wasn't fully their idea, and they weren't ready to implement it. What we're talking about is a new process and something that maybe a CEO who's listening might be interested in, Jim, if they want to get a hold of you to talk a little bit more about it, how do they do that? Email and or phone. The phone number is a direct number. It's 513-204-2302. That rings on my desk. We've got a main number, but you're going to go through some call directors and some other people. You can call me directly, 513-204-2302, or my direct private email, is Jay Cimino, and that's C-I-M-I-N-O, at executivesearch.net, and that will show up right on my screen, and I do respond to emails, even if it's to say, sorry, there's nothing we can do, or gee, thanks, but not at this time. I feel if somebody takes the time to call me or takes the time to send me an, an email, I can take the courtesy to take a few seconds and respond. So you reach out to me, I will get back to you. And if anyone wants to talk to me about the strategic plan and how, how it might be implemented in their company, uh, feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call. Uh, my direct line is 513-646-6523. Jim, any closing words before we uh, finish the show? Yeah, I was going to expand on just one thing, talking about being dynamic, and that is if, you, if you've ever heard some of your best generals, they tell you that a battle plan is only good until the battle begins and then it goes out the window. It's the same thing with the strategic plan. A strategic plan is only good until you start implementing it, and then your customer or your competitors or somebody else are going to come into play, and they're going to recognize it. They're going to start seeing what's going on. So you need to recognize that that plan is as good as it is only until the day you start to implement it, and then from that point on, you need to be delegating, you need to be checking, you need to be revising, you need to make certain that it becomes a dynamic process as opposed to a static piece of paper. I appreciate you coming in, Jim, and uh, perhaps we'll uh, have you back again.
Thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, this is Mike Roth and uh, Jim Semino on Cincinnati Business Talk. And, uh, Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.